When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Sounds Good is brought to you by the people who make my podcast happen, Gradient. Gradient is the brand reaching open-minded, culturally inclusive, justice-oriented millennials through in-depth reporting, long-form features, and thoughtful commentary on what's happening in the world around us. If you like this podcast, be sure to check out some of the other great shows that are a part of the Gradient Podcast Network. One in particular that I've been really into lately is In Case You Missed It. Gradient's weekly news roundup podcast, where members of the Gradient team give their perspective on five news stories from the week that was. I love how much fun they have. Listen to this clip from last week's episode. We talked about millennials and they, they do feel more empowered today. So I think like they, they do have, they do feel like they can make a difference. And, and another question that comes to my mind is how does technology come into play? Yeah. Um, totally. Is, you know, when all the opportunities to give to the Red Cross by right. texting, is that actually creating a lot of, of giving that wasn't there before? I think it's a lot easier than it's ever been before. Right. And it's uh, something that you can have set up coming out of your bank account every month. You don't need to think about. It's like Hulu and Spotify. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, thanks to Apple Pay. Yeah. Now you can just boop right there and give it. it Thank goodness for millennials. Thank goodness. What would you guys do without us? Um, <laughs> yeah. Probably get a let's, lot done. Let's great let's without, day. Without and, uh, great day <laughs> for millennials. <laughs> a great day for millennials. Follow along on Facebook and Twitter at, at gradient.is. That's gradient, D-O-T-I-S. And just search for Gradient and subscribe to their podcasts on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Gradient. News, culture, and the human experience. Hello, hello. Brandon Harvey here with this week's episode of Sounds Good, the podcast where every single Monday I sit down with an inspiring person and talk about happiness, overcoming struggles, and living a life of intentionality and wonder. This week I'm talking with Victor Saad, Victor is an Egyptian-American living in Chicago who believes that relationships are the most powerful engines for change. After ditching grad school to create his own successful master's program called the Leap Year Project, Victor founded the Experience Institute, joining forces with industry leaders from places like Leo Burnett, Stanford, and IDEO to design a new type of higher education rooted in real-world experience. Victor is a fascinating guy, a deep thinker, and a friend to many. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Oh, and real quick, it's worth mentioning that I recorded this episode outside of the studio while I was traveling in Portland, Oregon this past week. Let's jump straight into this. Okay, you guys, I am here with my good friend, Victor. Victor, welcome to Sounds Good. Thanks so much, Brandon. It's really good to be here. This is so good. You and I first met, um, I don't know, like nine months ago, eight yeah. months ago in, in my city of Nashville. You were in town. Right. We were both speaking at a conference and we even, I think, ate some chicken afterwards or something. We did. Remember. We did. I was totally <laughs> alone afterwards, didn't know where to go. And you were kind enough to throw me in your backseat and take me to some great chickens. I don't even know where we went, but it was fantastic. 
Man, that, yeah, that was fun. And that was, it's cool because the person that hired both of us to be speakers there, he like walked up to me and he said, Hey, like you're speaking like right before this guy named Victor. I put you before him because I think you guys are going to be good friends. And, uh, and I think he was right because I've loved following along with everything you've been doing since we met. Um, I was obsessed with the talk that you gave and the story you told about your life and education. Um, and now you get to be on my podcast. Like this is so awesome. Awesome. The world is a good place. The world is a good place. I just want to jump right into this and be like, you're in this really cool place in life right now where you're, um, you're innovating, you're creating, you're taking risks, you're encouraging others to do the same. But I kind of just want to back up and be like, okay, like who is this Victor guy? And like, how did he get to this place where he's doing this stuff? Because, um, I don't know. I, I kind of like reverse engineering, like what makes you special, but also like how can other people do this with their own life? So like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to sure. be this entrepreneur education genius? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that those are really kind words. I don't think of myself as any of them, but what I do think of myself as is someone who likes to solve problems. And, um, that's been the same way since from the second I could, like I could, my very first memories, right. were trying to, you know, kind of re-engineer our gazebo in my backyard because I thought, the steps were too high for me. So trying to put boards so I could walk up or ride my little tricycle up the steps. Like I just am, I've always been a little bit of a problem solver. Um, and I, I thought that would lead me actually into medicine. Um, I'm, my family is middle Eastern and everyone on my mom's side is a doctor and everyone expected me to either be a doctor or second or third place might be a lawyer or engineer. Um, but those professions obviously, didn't, didn't fit me for a couple of reasons. Um, I mean, more, most specifically, my parents divorced whenever I was in middle school, and it rocked my world. And um, my heroes were actually a group of guys who were working at a local church, um, putting on an after-school program and uh, for, for people that just wanted to connect or get counseling on something or even tutoring on schoolwork. I just found uh, found a bit of a home there, and watching them do their work, and watching my teachers and soccer coaches and um, band directors and all these people working with students and, and changing our lives, I was like, "Wow, I think I think this is where I want to spend my days. How I want to make a living is actually working with with students." So interesting. Yeah. So if your world was rocked at at middle school age, and you're like, "Okay, maybe I don't know if I want to be a doctor as much anymore." And that means you wanted to be a doctor at like elementary school or young. Oh my gosh. Which is from like crazy. Oh yeah. My my Halloween costume was scrubs. Like for most of my life. Yeah. It was like embedded in what in who you were and what you were doing. Oh, I mean yeah. those are formative years. <laughs> yeah. And then absolutely. like that's a total game changer to shift from that to being like, I wanna, you know, I wanna do this thing that's a little bit less it's a lot less tangible. You know, there's not yeah. a Halloween costume for, for what you kind of transitioned into. No, I, I suppose maybe either like maybe a hoodie and a button-up shirt, like a blue <laughs> Oxford, I don't know, um, and khakis. Um, I think I think it is less tangible. Obviously, my parents moved to the, to the States to raise, you know, to make sure we had a better life. And I think also studying medicine and being a doctor um, meant, you know, a more secure sort of salary and yeah, livelihood. And 
education not as much you know depending on which direction you you take it so yeah i think i think my parents were a little bit concerned each of them i brought them into the same room to tell them whenever i was like 16 17 years old brought my my divorced parents and like had to have a sit down chat that i wasn't gonna be a doctor Um, and how did how did they take that um well, they were both really silent. My dad asked me questions, and my mom, my mom is really sweet and really like my biggest fan. She's she's lovely, and she was like, "Why can you not do both?" You know, just like in a very like sweet, <laughs> sort of endearing kind of like uh, almost just like just just genuinely curious. Like, can you do both? Like, um, can you be a doctor and work with students? Which is a valid question, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, I, I just, I really, I really want to go this direction. And, and they eventually supported me. Um, I, I was going to Moody. Uh, that's where I wanted to go. So I had heard about it from a friend in my youth group. And um, they knew about it as well. They lived in Chicago before they, we lived in Missouri. And so they knew it was a good school. And they, they ended up giving me their blessing. That's great. That's amazing. And then, okay, so what did you study in school then? So I studied youth ministry. It was, uh, I went to Moody, which is a, pretty conservative Christian school. And for five years after school, I worked at a large church in the West suburbs that was building a 40,000 square foot student space called the hub. Wow. And, um, I got to be part of finishing off the building of that space and then working with the, the team, the youth ministry team there to grow the student programs and, um, to launch another campus of the church, um, in Aurora and uh, it was a blast. I got to be a creative director, a program director, um, a teacher. Um, I even coached so- soccer in the evenings. So I was doing all the things that I thought I was cut to do. I read this on your blog a while back, and, and I just thought that this story was, was amazing. Um, at one point, you were trying to pay tuition. and you <laughs> no. And you decided that a fun way to pay tuition would be to buy some ps3s some playstation 3s that were high in demand and, oh my gosh. and sell them on on probably ebay or something um can we talk about this story really quick because i, I literally it. right now writing a note to myself never to do a podcast with you again like ever this is it. You <laughs> i'm do so too sorry much, you do too much digging yeah i mean at the time my my parents were divorced. I was paying my way through, and, and Moody is very you know very affordable. Like there's no tuition. All you do is pay room and board. It's ten grand a year, but for a college kid, that's still a lot. And so I was doing everything I could to to pay my way, and um, and my parents helped when they could. So that's not to say they were just like leaving me out on an island. But anyway, so yeah, PS3 is high in demand. Me and two of my soccer buddies decided, oh my gosh, we could totally camp out. We could, we could skip a couple classes. We were, I think we were seniors. Um, and so, no, ju- maybe juniors. I can't remember now. But yeah, so we, we went two nights before, before they were released. Yeah, I think they were getting released on, a, I don't know. I, I can't remember the exact date. I have a bad memory. I think I just blocked it out. <laughs> and we found this boutique little tech shop that was, you know, guaranteed that there were going to be 10 of them. We were number one, two, and three in line. And we decided really quick, we'd go grab a bite. We come back and there's one guy ahead of us. No, I, your plane is foiled. My plan, our plan is foiled. We're like, okay, 10 PS3s. We could at least get each, each one. And they're going for on eBay for two, three times the cost. This is in three days. We could each make six to 600 to a grand. Um, and that's that's worth our time. And we we're having fun. We we're on the news. We we're camping out. People were 
drunk people were coming by and having great conversations with us at midnight. It was fantastic. <laughs> and it was cold, but it was fun. Anyway, long, 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 long story short, the final morning comes and the owner says there's been too, so much of a shortage that he only got one PS3. Terrible. And so two nights, three days later, this one guy ahead of us gets it. Um, and we go home. He actually, yeah, lots of nuances. You can read the story in the on my blog, but um, a funny one nonetheless. What I do want to add into that story, because this is, this is the part that I love, is that um, at one point, that person, he was freezing cold. He just like kind of asked you guys, he's like, hey, can I please like go and sleep in my bed for this last night? I'm like, I'm freezing and your friends and you're just like too nice about it. And you're like, yeah, go ahead, man. Like, no, I'm well, not. My friends are, I'm the jerk <laughs> in this scenario. I'm like, oh. no, you, you lose your spot. My friends are like, no, we're, you know, we're good guys. We want to, we want to be good examples to this guy. He'll, he'll, you know, like we can be kind. And I was like, you have to pay us at least. And so I asked for a hundred bucks. <laughs> he paid us a hundred bucks. Oh my gosh! And I was like, "All right," and that's fine. And and yeah, he he came back all bright and cheery in the morning, and well, and then he stole the last PS3. Yeah, he bought it. He bought it. He didn't. Yeah. So the reason that I like this story is because it says something about who you are becoming at this time. Like, I mean, obviously, like I would be pissed. I would be, do the exact same thing where I'm like, "Okay, no, it, it, you need to give us the like." I would. I think what I would have done is I would have said like. You have to get behind us in line when you get back in line. Right. But in the in your blog post, you talked about how taking risks is like anything else. It takes practice. And, you know, you said, like, sometimes things don't work out. Um, and you talked about just th- this idea of just, like, going for things. And the fact that, like, at the end of the day, like, you did not get what you set out for. Like, you wasted a few of your days. Um, but if you think about it in this way of, like, okay, I wasted my time. I wasted like my energy, um, and I didn't get that money, then, you know, then that's a bummer. But if you think about it as like, I had this great experience with my friends, I came back with the story, came back with a hundred dollars, like that's a pretty cool spot to be. Yeah. I mean, Brené Brown talks about it in her book, Rising Strong, the, the story you tell yourself, that's the story that matters. Right. And I think there's a lot of things that happen in our lives where we take risks and they don't pan out. And you could tell yourself you're a failure and that's a story you believe or that you wasted a lot of time and money and or you can you can tell yourself the story that is perhaps the truth of it, which is who you met, what you learned, how much stronger you'll be, how you'll be able to counsel others um, and advise others. And, and I think that's going to be a huge part of any risk you take is knowing that you might fail, but you're, you're able to, to find the good in it and to latch onto that story. Yeah, that's what I like about the story. I, I don't like the part that you guys, uh, <laughs> that you did not have a positive experience, and I'm so sorry for bringing that up. <laughs> well, no, don't, I mean, literally, like, you will not find that on the internet anywhere else besides my blog and this podcast. So if you're listening, welcome to the, like, a secret door into my world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, anyway, so graduate college, you're doing all these amazing things, um, you're kind of falling in line with these things where you're like, I think this is what I want to be doing. But you had kind of an idea pop into your head. Like, what was that idea? Well, I mean, generally speaking, I'd started learning about 
this intersection of for-profit and for-purpose businesses. Um, social enterprise is another name for it. And I had learned about it from guys like Blake McCoskey at Tom's and Jake Harriman from Nuru, Billy Williams also from Nuru, and, and Charles Lee from Ideation. I mean, a whole slew of these folks. I thought, okay, maybe I should get an MBA um, in social enterprise. I'm in Chicago. Northwestern's right here. They have a great program, University of Chicago here. Um, and generally speaking, Chicago is just a great college town. There's all sorts of great places to learn more about business um, and design, for that matter. Another passion of mine. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to get, an, I'm going to take what I've learned about um, education, about um, launching this, you know, four million dollar, forty thousand square foot space, and I'm going to channel it all into an MBA and perhaps uh, be more on the. Uh, like kind of building side of these organizations and ventures, not just the um, implementation side of it. Um, and so, yeah, so nine months of studying for the GMAT um, and all sorts of college visits and um, getting ready to attend, yeah, to, to basically get my master's. Um, that was that was the goal. So you jump into getting your master's and you're like going down the business school trajectory. That's right. Yeah, actually. So I didn't even start. I, um, I've done, done my research. I taken the GMAT, gotten my scores to a good place. And about three, four months before I would have started, I was April of 2011. Um, and I, I'd wanted to start in the fall. I decided, um, the cost and the style is just, I was just trying to force it. I couldn't figure out how I'd pay for it. And I couldn't figure out, uh, I can I couldn't reconcile the difference between what I really wanted to do, which was really experience a lot of different things, versus what I was go about to do, which was go to one school, one campus, for uh, two years. And you just didn't feel like it would. You wouldn't get out of it what you were putting into it. You didn't feel like it was going to add the value. Yeah, and at that time too, there was a lot of talk about this. There were there were a lot of people writing about this fact or this idea that. Maybe maybe there are other ways to learn, and maybe the ROI on a master's degree or even a college degree weren't matching up to what everyone had thought they were. Well, and I'm a little bit younger than you are, and so I was probably maybe at the tail end of my high school career at the time that this was happening. And I remember being in high school, and I watched – I'm sure you've seen it – Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk yeah. about the education system in America. Yeah. And he just like – I mean, not even just the American education system, but just like the Western education system, where education is at in the world right now. And it blew my mind. Like it, it rocked my world. And for like my last like two years of high school, every paper that I could write about where I had the option to write was like an in your face paper to wow. the education system. Like I was, I was so intrigued by this idea of like, wow. what if education, like even like down to the like high school, middle school, like. K through 12 level is not where it needs to be. And so, and I had the same doubts about higher education as well. I, for a long time, considered not going to college, considering something that was more experiential. And so, I, yeah, I, th I think that really was a thing that people were talking about. And I, I definitely was experiencing similar feelings. Yeah, I think the recession did a did a number on us. Uh, yeah. Anyone who was thinking about taking on a lot of debt, anyone who was thinking about... Um, like just, just the, not only their, the debt, but then also thinking about what their income potential really is, um, and other ways to get there. I, 
I mean, look, when I remember studying for my GMAT and there were three things that I was really hoping to get out of a business degree, and that was tools, credibility, and a network. And then the fourth thing is employment. So practical tools, credibility, a network, and then employment. And I was like, okay, if that's the problem, going back to being a problem solver, if that's the problem I'm trying to solve for is the lack of those four things, is an MBA the only way? Yeah. And the answer was no. Yeah. Okay. So the answer is no. And so you just stopped dead in your tracks at that point? Yeah. The, the answer is like, okay, well, what else would you do if you needed those four things? Yeah. Totally. Which it, then it was like, it, it was just imagine, you know, looking at a, um, looking at a box, like a brick wall, and all of a sudden all of those bricks come shattering down and you just see nothing but white space. And then someone puts a hand, like a paintbrush in your hand. Like, ah, all right. What else could we do? And so then, then I just started talking to all sorts of people, genuinely asking them, what would you do if you like, were going to take a year and learn about the thing you were most curious about? You know, How would you design a master's? Or what risks would you take to learn, to grow, to change, change something in your life? Um, and with every conversation, people were giving me new colors to paint with and to think, you know, new ideas to think about. At one point, kind of... Yeah, early April, I just, it all kind of came together that I, I could design my own year. And through this process, you were, what kinds of questions were you asking these people? Like how were, yeah, like almost help me understand if I were kind of in a time where I was like, okay, what am I trying to do here? What do I want to do here? Like, what are the questions I could ask that would give me that paintbrush to like paint things with new colors? Absolutely. So I think one of the first things I did was just to think about who it is I really, really admire and what things I was watching and paying attention to and trying to set, sit down with those people, ask them how they got to where they are and then ask them what steps they would advise me to take to get to a similar source of place. And so some people did the traditional route. They did business schools or they did, you know, some sort of masters or, you know, some some great degree, but a lot of them didn't. And a lot of them just said, "Look, I just put myself in situations where there were good people around me and I just started working really hard, trying to find ways to be helpful and to contribute." Um, you know, another thing to ask is just like, you know, where would you go? And so and so people would tell me, "Look, like a great place for this is the Bay or LA or, you know, just spend time, more time in the city rather than in the suburbs and go to every tech entrepreneurship event or go to every, you know, education event that you can get to. Or, I, I mean, people were just willing to share the places that they've been or thought they wanted to go to and tell me to go there. Um, and, and the fun thing was that, at first, people thought I was pretty crazy. Um, like, <laughs> they were they were like, okay, like maybe you should just go to school, like you know, at at the very very beginning. But I was like, no, no, no look, just, let's just start from scratch. Let's just say I had the time um, to to design this year, um, you know, and let let's just start from scratch. And and I think by the end, they were designing it with me. Um, That's cool. They kind of came around to the idea. Totally. And now all this is happening within a matter of weeks, like. This is April. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is April. I'm, I'm looking at kind of starting a program in the fall. And I also have a full-time job that I love. And I'm think, I know that if, I were, if I'm considering anything major, like I need to tell my job what, you know, that I'm leaving. 
and I want to give them enough time. I want to be able to hire the next guy or girl to take my position. And and you like your job. And so this is kind of, I would yeah. imagine it's kind of a hard thing to process. Totally. Huh? Yeah. I love my job. I loved my students. I, yeah, I, I was doing just fine. Um, but I just knew that like I was 25 and I had nothing really holding me back from trying something really out of the ordinary. So, um, but I had to, I had to decide pretty quickly. So I was talking to people nonstop about this every evening, every early morning, every lunch break, even my own students were giving me ideas, which was fun. (laughs) And so by May that year, um, yeah, I had decided to, to go for it. Okay. And so this is the defining moment. This is the change. This is the shift. This is where you jump into something new. And it, it seems that this moment created the trajectory for what your life has been since then right um up through now like what did you what did you feel like in this moment did you feel like you were on to something big did you feel like you were just experimenting were you nervous were you excited were you confident like what was that like yeah i mean there were a lot of things that were coming together that made me excited like even the fact that i call i had called it leap year project and i didn't even know that 2012 was a leap year so this was in 2011 and i literally still have the tweet of my friend um, my best friend Tyler Savage saying, like, tweeting me saying, "Hey, next year is actually a leap year. You should do something with that." <laughs> like, this was in April <laughs> or May of 2011, um, and so that was fun. And then I had to raise some some cash to make it happen. And so uh, at that time, crowd crowdfunding was, you know, Kickstarter was around, but as far as like, I don't know, crowd rise or. Um, I don't know, there's all sorts of crowdfunding tools now, but it was still on the fringe. So I was trying to figure out how to raise money and um and I created a kind of a magazine subscription to my own year. Like so ten dollars a month, people would get my digital newsletter and people were excited to actually get behind me and, and uh to subscribe. So I you know, by the end of that summer I think I had, I don't know, maybe a hundred 110 people or something and my goal was 200 and so I you know had a small stipend and had a good little like community around me and um but I was nervous I mean gosh like at the time I was I went from having hundreds of students I was on a team of seven um I I mean in almost overnight I was alone in a basement like the the, basement apartment that I was renting like just with my own time, like twiddling my thumbs, you know, you know, luckily there was a local design agency who I I really respected the, the founder of it, Justin Aaron's. And he let me work out of there a couple days a week, which was awesome. Um, and I just started building like a website and, uh, started thinking about what the year should actually entail. And that's when we came up with 12 projects, 12 months. So people could understand what I was doing. Um, 12 projects, 12 months in 2012. Um, if you were to like sum up, your thought process like i am doing this because x you know it was like yeah what was like almost like the mission statement for why you were creating something for this year i you know i think at the core of it i mean there were i guess there was two there was one the grander picture of higher education i thought was broken um and so this was my problem solving this is me like building the ramp up the stairs to my gazebo like there's another way um i'm going to design my own um, and then specifically for me personally, like 
I wanted to gain as much experience as I could in the areas that I was passionate about so I could link those experiences and know kind of what to do after I was done with the year. Um, gotcha. And yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I, like that for profit, for purpose, and my role in building those kinds of companies. That's amazing. And so 12 months, 12 projects, uh, what what did that look like? Did you start organizing immediately? Like what, what was your first step? I think first of all, knowing, okay, d- design business and social change, that little triangle. Um, and then I think the other side of it was having a community of people that I can rely on, um, and actually help me think through where I should go throughout those 12 months. And so asking them, filling in, filling them in on what I was going to do and asking them for ideas for where I could go. And so, People just started introducing me to business owners, creative directors, CEOs, all sorts of uh, folks. And I I just sat down over and over and over again, pitching people on this idea of being in their space for four weeks while I find one problem to solve. Um, And I just wanted to interview their staff, find the thread, find the challenge, and then try to pitch um, pitch them on why I should be there for, for a month. And a lot of people were just like, look, this is really cool. You know, we're busy. We don't have funding. And I wasn't even asking for funding in, in most cases, but still, like, a lot of people said, said no. And then, yeah. But eventually, you know, like, someone said yes for January. And, and I was off to the races. I didn't have every, every month set, but like, that one month is all I needed to get started. And then that person yeah. introduced me to the next one and then the next one. And then all of a sudden, like, people are asking me, like, hey, do you want to spend some time here? And, and it was cool. Like I was writing about it every week, every month. Um, I was starting to do some talks and presentations about what I was doing. And all of it started working together. I mean, it, it took time. And there were a lot of no's and a lot of loneliness. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think it started catching by month four or five. That's amazing. I, I mean, I think that a lot of the best things in life come with a lot of no's. You know, the yeah. fact that you stuck with it and you pushed through those no's until you got your yeses, like that, the fact like that weeds out a lot of people who aren't passionate enough and you had the passion, you had the drive, you had the determination and it's paid off. You know, you got to do this. And so you get to the end of this year and what were some of like the highlights of that entire year? Like what were some of the best opportunities you were given? Yeah. So I, I mean... And I think first and foremost, just to go back to that community piece, yeah. my friends were rocks. Like they were the ones who kept me going and I think kept me committed to the whole idea because there were definitely some months where I was like, this is stupid. I should have done, done an MBA and um, I'm almost like whatever. I'm, I'm almost on my wits end. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, the encouraging times were one of the first kind of bigger experiences with spending um, – a month with Jake Nickel, the founder of Threadless in Chicago. And that was a legit company. That wasn't just like a, you know, a small agency or a nonprofit. And, um, well, the nonprofit in Cairo was awesome, but they were tiny. Um, but Threadless was kind of well known and had a really great following and they were, you know, super, I don't know, gracious with just letting me into their company and spending time with them. Um, so Jake even Jake had even offered me a a job to stay there, and I was like, that would that would be awesome. By <laughs> you know March of you know three months in, and I actually have a whole new opportunity here. But the more we talked about it, the more he was like, actually, maybe you should finish because this is really rad. And um, 
Amazing. So that was cool. And then an architecture firm in Seattle I, um, that let me spend time working on Microsoft's healthcare facility. Um, Dang. No yeah, big deal. super cool. Like, I don't know anything about architecture, but I learned a lot that month. And the guy teaching me was, he's still one of my dearest friends. Um, and it was just, just gave me, gave me a lot of, uh, he just threw me in the deep end, you know? Um, yeah. So, and that's what you wanted. Yeah. You wanted experience. Exactly. Yeah. So th- there were a number of them. But the, I mean, those were a couple that that really st- stand out. Um, Alex Bogusky in uh, in Boulder, amazing ad guy. Uh, pol- pretty polarizing if you look him up. Um, but you know, just for some odd reason, was kind enough to let me work on some of his projects, and I just learned a lot about communication and messaging and community building from him. And um, yeah, to this day, he's still a, just a, a good friend. So. That's really cool. That's amazing. And so you came out of this year, you were expecting experience, you were expecting network, and you were expecting uh, like a, a job opportunity, right? So tools, credibility, network, yeah. and employment. So I think those are the things that like okay. people go to M- like whatever a master's for. Totally. And so you come out of the year, did you achieve all of those? Yeah, I think so. And then there was this whole other piece of just like, self-discovery that I didn't even know to list, right? And just learning a lot about what I was good at and not good at and who, who I am when it feels like everything is pulled out of the rug from underneath me. So, yeah, all of those things. And then I had received several job offers. Um, n- nearly every company had offered some sort of continuation of my projects or even all the way up to full-time wow. positions. So it was a really incredible year. Um there was just enough kind of curiosity and um, I think wonder about the future of higher education. And I had just kind of stumbled into that whole conversation. Um, yeah. There was a lot of talk about online learning and the power of online learning, which I totally get and I'm behind. But I also had just done this incredible year where I was in spaces, not online, but like working with amazing people, getting, you know, just the, these rich experiences. And, and it, it made me wonder if we could do something with what I had just done and actually build, build a, a place where people could do something similar. And the cool thing is, spoiler alert, you did. <laughs> uh, like, you spent the last, what, like three years since then um, making this bigger and bigger and inviting more and more people into this. Um, like catch me up to speed. Yeah. So, uh, in 2013, um, I staged my kind of graduation at the Ted talk in Chicago. So TEDx windy city. That was so cool. Yeah. It was a, it was a fun way to culminate the year cap and gown and all. Um, but more importantly, it was a great opportunity to talk about what we can make out of this year. And experience Institute was the kind of, next iteration of all of this and that's been this it started off with a grad program a, a program t- mainly for graduate students um though we've had a couple of gap year students come our way as well and instead of 12 projects in 12 months the program has been fall spring summer experiences so about 90 days each with classes in chicago in between each so coming to chicago in september two weeks you study design thinking storytelling business um, community building and self-awareness and then travel to a company or organization come back in january and continue that rhythm throughout the year 2013 i put this call out and 
had 34 applications for this crazy new little school. And, um, and we took on just a handful of students that we thought we could support throughout the year as they designed their year with us, getting paid, learning, um, being, a, being in community together, and learning from incredible instructors who came in from school, local schools or businesses, teaching these workshops about the things that, you know, the things I just mentioned. And, it, and we were starting to cook, like starting to create this new place. That's been the really, really fun part for me to see is, I mean, because you had this incredible experience and it could have just stopped there and you could have gone and just worked for Threadless and this would have just been a thing that you tell your kids about one day, but you're creating something and you're inviting people into this thing. Um, I don't, like, I love that. I love that you made it more than just about yourself. Like you, you took it outside of yourself and it seems like it's changing the game for a lot of these students. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, first of all, I don't know. I am now like the lucky one, right? I get to spend time with people who are at points of transition and who are taking these huge leaps to, I mean, they're now talking to their parents, right? Saying, I don't think a, a traditional route is for me. You know, they're the ones bringing their parents into yeah, the room. Yeah, sit down conversation. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the same one. And they're the ones who are like, this feels broken and I'd like to try something different. Um, it's a huge risk for them. And, and I get to be yeah. on the front row. I get to be, you know, uh, not only on the front row, but I get to build a team around those students, uh, those individuals. And typically, like I said, those students have been um, anywhere from their early 20s to late 30s, maybe shifting careers. Um, and mo and wow. most recently, we're now doing it with college. We've done it. We started a three-month program for college students where college students leave, yeah, saw yeah, leave campus and um, – that you can even earn credit and they're traveling around the world and they're doing classes and studying online. It's, uh, and they're same thing. Like I, I get to work with students who are re wanting to reimagine, re-envision what ed their education could look like and ultimately what their lives could look like. And, uh, so it, it has been an incredible journey to, to be a part of each one of these people who've, who've done it. What I love about this is, that, you know, all these people who are joining in, they totally have a different story, but I would imagine, and you kind of mentioned this before, like they're sitting down, they're like having a conversation with their parents and it's embedded in the name, like leap year. You're, you're basically inviting people to take a leap, to take a risk. Um, and you've talked about this plenty before. I remember you talked in, uh, in the talk you gave in Nashville. Um, and you, you said something along the lines of like, I'm one of those guys where, where I learn best when I get uncomfortable. And, um, you're kind of inviting people into being uncomfortable. And I do, I want to just have a discussion really quick about this idea of being uncomfortable because I'm the exact same way. Like I definitely am the kind of guy where I learn best when I'm uncomfortable. Like I get so freaking nervous about some things. Like when, when I spoke at that thing right before you, um, I was so, so nervous to be right. speaking. Yeah. And like yeah. the first time that I like did this podcast. Like I was interviewing a friend, like episode one, Taylor Tippett, we're good friends. And I was like shaking in my boots. Like I was so right. nervous to talk to her. Like in all these things where I was uncomfortable and I was nervous were definitely, um, some of like the highlights of my life. Like there were growing moments. There were points where I learned. Um, and you said that like, you're one of those guys where you learn best with that. Do you think that this applies to everyone or do you feel like it's 
there's a certain crew of us that are like, 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 what have you found with interacting with so many people where you're encouraging them to take risks? Well, there's actually, so there's, there's some science behind all of this. Um, Lev Vygotsky, a Soviet psychologist, um, he is the founder of an idea called the zone of proximal development. And I love this already. This is fascinating. And essentially that there are kind of three zones that everyone has and it's their comfort zone. And and this is kind of a simpler version of it. You can dive, you can literally Google zone of proximal development and totally geek out on all of this. But there's the, there's (laughs) the comfort zone. There's the, there's the learning zone. And then there's the panic zone. Hmm. And, the comfort zone is where everything it's the status quo. It's not that you're that you have every resource on the planet. It's just that you have your routines down, you have your normal life set. Um, but there's something that pushes us to kind of begin wondering what else is out there. Um, whether that's a pain or a life situation or a, a challenge or, uh, seeing something, having access to something and you wonder, should you kind of take this leap kind of, out of that comfort zone and into something new. Um, And that's when you're in the learning zone. And the learning zone is where there's something that you, that you don't know that you have to, you have to figure out. You have to piece things together. Um, You have to rely on the things you've learned up until now and make new connections between those things so that you can figure it out. And that's where you were whenever you were going to speak. You knew you know how to, you, you knew how to speak, you know you have a good story, you know you, you're an incredible photographer, but you have to piece all of this together in a new way for the small packed room that's all there to see you. Um, and that's that you were in your learning zone there. Now, everyone also has this panic zone where you get to the edge of what you know, so far away from your comfort zone, and you feel like you feel lost. You've lost your sense of home, you have no confidence left, Maybe, maybe you've you just like you lost your bearings. This is kind of like where you freeze or this is like if you get pummeled by waves and you don't know which way is up, this is what's happening in your head or in your heart. And mm. those, are, those are, are common moments for everybody. And the only way back to, to the learning zone is, is through that community of support or through some sort of anchor that guides you back. Otherwise, you're just going to want to shut down and go – all the way back. And I think, I think our most transformative moments are when we take those leaps from comfort into learning, uh, when we, when, and we come up to the edge of panic. Um, I think that, that is when our, our lives change, our relationships forge, like our new relationships become something that lasts. Um, and I think the coolest part, Brandon, is that if you stay in the learning zone, what happens is your comfort zone actually expands. And that's the goal of learning. That's the goal of leaping is that you get more comfortable in situations that you once thought would be impossible or daunting or too heavy. Um, And so that's, I think that's why I love this work, right? Like that's helping people zoom beyond that or go beyond that. This is like just changing the game for the way that I see things. Like this totally makes sense to me. And what I love is that you have essentially engineered a program that pushes people to the edge of their comfort zone right before they hit panic zone, but they've got this, this group of support. Um, that's amazing. And so when they get back, 
their comfort zone is bigger and bigger. And that's essentially what a new experience is. And so when they jump into their new career, they have so much more experience than somebody who just stayed in a traditional comfort zone, in a traditional, just normal, like, career path. That's that that's fascinating. So this is like, this isn't just a cool idea. This is like working on a straight up, like, sociological level or like a straight up like psychological level. yeah i think so i i mean that's the, that's the hope i i mean on one hand we want people to have to leave ei with that greater sense of confidence and agency i think on the practical work level i think also they they have a greater body of work from the year and you know one of the things about the way work is changing is that you need to have more of a portfolio. Just even if you're not in a creative field, you need to be able to show what you've done, and you need to show that you've done it in a couple different contexts, and that helps you stand out. And so, you know, EI gives you that chance to both like push yourself, but also to build that um, build that portfolio for the sake of your next step. Man, this is so fascinating. I love this. I love that you're doing this. I mean, so you've got all this happening. You've got college students doing summer programs you've got full-on like people who are making shifts and changes in their lives who are you're encouraging them and giving them the tools and abilities to step outside their comfort zone like what is next for you guys like what are you what are you innovating on what are you what are you pushing yourself with right now i mean a couple of things so you know i think about ei in a little bit of a funnel and you know the the year-long program is probably the smallest part of that funnel because there's 10, maybe 15 students a year who do it. In fact, j- just a, a, a shameless plug, applications are currently open for that fellowship. Um, so Amazing. Um, but, you know, and then the, the three-month program, which will happen fall, spring, summer, that's, you know, that's kind of the middle of the funnel. It's a, we can take more people in that program, and it's, you know, four college students. But I'm curious, how do I support a wider group of people? And... Um, you know, whether they're in their careers or they can't make it into a three-month or 12-month program for whatever reason. So I'm curious more about what is the process for designing education and how do we put it into a beautiful set of tools. And so the we, we've been thinking about, um, and just last October put it on Kickstarter, a kit of parts that helps you design a project or experience based off the thing you're most curious about um, so that you can build that body of work on your own. You can push yourself on your own. So Leap Kit has been that kind of most recent project. And we've been, we've been using Leap Kit as, so there's a poster and there's a journal um, and a deck of cards and so on. That kind of, it's almost gamifying it. Um, and we've been using it in different contexts, whether it's um, in the workplace. We have 20 people every quarter doing it at Leo Burnett, a big creative firm here. In, uh, Whoa, that's it, amazing. Uh, yeah, it's been awesome. Um, they call it Leo Leaps. It's a, it's a kind of a professional development program. And we have people just using it in their schools or in their churches or in their homes, like just, just their family. And that's been really fun because it's, it's less about people coming to EI. Um, as much as I love having people here, I just I want to see the pro- like this idea kind of spread, right? Um, totally. And so I think the team the team and I have really been working to see if and how LeapKit can help spread this idea of taking education, making education something you create, not just consume. I love that. Yeah, you're democratizing it. You're making it something that people can can own, you know, fully experience it themselves. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, Man. So that's been our most recent kind of 
plug. Obviously, you know, the 12 month program and the three month program are the kind of in person, deep in the weeds, helping people find experiences around the world that fit their skill set and push them intellectually and, and personally. Um, but yeah, the kit's been a fun, fun uh, experiment. It's like our lab work, you know? Dude, and, and I mean, I saw that video you guys shared about the whole process. And I think I saw it in person when we met. But it's, I mean, it's freaking cool. Like, it's, it looks visually good, which is like, I all, like, that's the biggest thing that like tricks me into buying things. It's like, oh man, that's beautiful. But, but then from like a practicality level, I was like, this is actually going to change the way that I do things. And, and I love that. And so you've created something really cool with that. Yeah. Well, I, and it just like literally we just shipped them out a couple of months ago. So I think the verdict's still out. I mean, there's been a good reception to it. Obviously we're beta testing it in some interesting places. Um, but you know, like all this stuff, like I, I want to, I want to be very like bold and confident and like, yeah, you're right, Brandon. It's going to change the world. (laughs) But really I'm like, gosh, like I hope, you know, it's, it's, it's like cooking up a dish and waiting until everyone tastes it. Now I, as the artist side of me is like, I don't care if you like it. I think it's right. And I'm well-researched and I've, I spent a year developing it with Stanford and an incredible group of designers and educators around the country. And then on the other hand, I'm like, I, it only works if you use it. And how do I make it more useful if it, if you don't? So these are the things that like, you know, just from the creator side of it, it's, it's, it's stuff that both excites me and keeps me up at night, you know? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It's like you, you use the metaphor of it being a dish, but it's a dish that takes people, like it takes a year to cook. Yeah. And so you've got to kind of see how it goes and you'll be able to shift and change it. Um, but you also have like several years worth of experiences to back it up. So. Yeah. I'm excited, dude. This is great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. It's really, really meaningful. And um, if you if you look at any corner of EI, you'll find just the most wonderful people. And and I mean, you're you're part of that now. I mean, just by the by the conversations we've shared and the feedback you've given, and um, even the fact that I get to be part of uh, a small part of your world right now. Um, I think that's where education really blossoms is in community. Um, I don't think it's a solo act. And so EI is as much a community as it is a program, you know? I mean, I am honored by that. And I mean, I, I really do love what you're doing. Let's transition to this thing. Every single week I ask people um, a few questions that I love to ask. Um, and so the first one, I normally ask people, how do you describe the kind of person you most admire in the world? But right there built into your leap kit is this question. It's like, who do you most admire? And, you know, on yours, I remember like, cause you shared it on Twitter or something like you, you shared the people that you admire. And so I would love for you to just like pick one of those people, unpack it a little bit, explain why, because um, we are the combination of like these people that we admire. And so I want to hear like, where you're coming from, like how you became who you are. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I, I listed some pretty amazing people on that list. Everyone from Bob Goff, who I think, you know, or know of, um, to Ira Glass, uh, Oliver, Oliver Sacks, who recently passed away, whose memoir I just, just read. Um, or Liz Danzico is the NPR creative director, 
Um, I mean, I could keep going. Brené Brown, Elizabeth Gilbert. So I, I, I love yeah, all of them. Lot, lots of amazing people. I think David Kelly, um, who's uh, the head of the Stanford D School, or the founder there, uh, Sarah Stein Greenberg. Uh, the the D School team, you know, in general, uh, Eric Olson. The, that whole team has been incredibly supportive, and David specifically has, you know, early on. For someone of his character, David Kelly is the founder of IDEO as well. He was really close with, gotcha. with Steve Jobs, wow. helped develop the mouse. He and his firm helped develop the, the mouse, which you and I both know, among a number of other things from the like, kind of portable defibrillator to Dyson vacuums. Like those, his firm has been part of a, you know, incredible, a number of incredible innovations. And for him, for someone of that stature to just be so kind and in, inviting and accepting um, to a nobody, essentially. I mean, I, I met him right after I finished my leap year uh, project and was trying to start EI. Um, he's, you know, a great communicator. He's really, really well kind of connected. He's an innovator, a doer, a maker. Um, but it's like I said, just is humble enough and, and kind enough to take somebody like me under the wing for just periods of a time. I mean, he's busy obviously, but for him to engage in the conversations that we've had and, um, you know, make the invitations he's made is really, really, really incredible. And I, I would say, you know, some of these people I listed, uh, I just, I just haven't ever met. I just read their work. Um, and he's someone who I've I've read his work, watched his talks, and then also just had the opportunity to meet, and um, and so he's he just has had you know a very personal impact. That's really cool. Those are all great people, and but I I love this idea that you got to spend time with this person that you admired and you thought was incredible, and a lot of people think it's incredible, and you and you still liked him too. You yeah. know, like sometimes people are nervous that they're going to meet their heroes and they're going to not live up to their expectations, but it's cool that you can still say that after meeting him. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. My next question that I want to ask you is, what are you consuming that you love right now? Like you just talked about um, reading Oliver Sacks' biography. Like what is inspiring you? Um, and let's say specifically, like what's inspiring you in regards to education? Mm. So um, there's a book called uh, The End of Average, Um and I just started that book. I think that, um, generally speaking, so the author of The End of Average is um, Todd Rose. And the book is, like, is all about how we succeed in a world that values kind of conformity or sameness or meeting certain people's expectations. Anyway, so just, just really talking about how we own who we are as individuals um, and I think that ties really closely to the bridge that I'm trying to make between academia and our work. Like the fact of the matter is the future of work, all of us need to become experts in something. We need to become, we need to know something or, or just be really passionate about something, almost the most passionate, the most like ridiculously passionate about one or two things. And to maybe not forever, but at least for a few years at a time. So we become known for that. And I think on the flip side, we need to support people really diving into something they're excited to make, do, create, change. 
And I want to, with EI students, I want to help them dive really deep into an area or at least explore a lot of different areas so they feel confident taking the, t- the next however many months, years to dive deeper into a particular area because they feel like yeah. they're ready for it. So that's, I think the end of average has been exciting. Um, Fascinating. I love that. But I still, I'm still in the middle of Rising Strong by Brené Brown and I think, She's yeah, so good. Understanding better, understanding relationships and and risk taking is something I'm always reading about. Um, yeah, so those are a couple of books. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got one more question to ask. Um, and this is one of my all time favorites. Um, like Victor, based on the ways that you've chosen to step out and live your life totally differently, to take leaps, what's just like one thing that you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life? today like an action step that they could take right now after this podcast ends i would probably say something along the lines of pay really good attention to what's making you come alive um i think a lot of times we're we get really focused on what we think we want or how we we paint pictures of how we want to be in the world and how we want to show up in the world but just for a second, look at look at the times when you have lost track of time, um, when you've been doing something that feels just so natural, so you. You're not trying to meet someone else's expectations or impress anybody else. You're being completely yourself. Who are you around? What are you doing or making? Like. Just gravitate to those things next, you know, and and just make sure you can call those things out. Um, it may it may seem silly when you start. You're like like I for me, I know one of the things I love hosting people. Um, I don't know if I can make a career out of hosting people, but EI is kind of I get a lot of opportunities to just host people for dinners and having people over, and so I know that that's very life giving for me. And, and though that might seem silly on the on the surface, it's actually one of the core things you'll see and feel if you come around EIs. Hopefully, you feel hosted, um, and um, and cared for here. So, what is it for you? I mean, that that's just one random thing for me. But like, what is that for you? And I, I hope all of you know that thing or those things, and and can begin to think about how you can do more of that. That's amazing. Look at the times that you've lost track of time. I think that that's, I, I love that. I'm psyched about that. I'm going to start processing through that. And that's, I, yeah, I think that that's good because if nothing else, it might cause you to step outside of your comfort zone and say, I'm going to do a little bit more of this. Right. And sometimes it takes a risk. And uh, that's what the Experience Institute, that's what this idea of leaping is all about. Dude, that's so good. On that note, I want to, say like if people are psyched about what they're doing if they want to pick up a leap kit if they want to apply if they want to follow along with your personal story where can they do that on the internet yeah so they can visit expinstitute.com and there you can learn about um, the three and 12 month program or if you want to pick up a leap kit uh, it's all pretty easy to navigate so check it out there Um, and you can join the newsletter there as well if you want to receive updates Dude, amazing. Um, I'm so glad that I get to have you on the show. It's so fun to uh, yeah. hear more about like your heart behind what you're doing, where you're going, what you're up to. And um, I'm still freaking thinking about that idea of um, our comfort zones and like the psychology behind growing and pushing. So 
thank you so much for all of that. Yeah, of course. And thanks for having me on the show. And to everyone listening, uh, thanks for taking the time to listen and um, hope to run into some of you someday soon. Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and is created in collaboration between me, Brandon Harvey, and Gradient. Find them on Facebook and Twitter at at gradient.is. That's gradient, D-O-T-I-S. And thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever. That way, new episodes of Sounds Good will download to your phone in your sleep. And outside of this podcast, you can find me basically everywhere on the internet. Just search for my name. That's Brandon with an E-N. And that's it for this week's podcast. I'll see you next week when we get the opportunity to learn from another incredible person. Sound good?